Chapter One of Bow Brocade by Baroness Emma Orksey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter One by Act of Parliament. The gaffers stood round and shook their heads when the corporal had finished reading the royal proclamation one or two of them sighed in a desultory fashion others murmured casually lordy lordy to think on it deary me the young ones neither sighed nor murmured they looked at one another furtively then glanced away again as if afraid to read each other's thoughts and in a shamefaced manner wiped their moist hands against their rough cord breeches there were no women present fortunately there had been heavy rains on the moor these last three days and what roads there were had become well-nigh impassable only a few men some half-dozen perhaps out of the lonely homesteads from down brassington way had tramped in the wake of the little squad of soldiers in order to hear this act of parliament read at the crossroads and to see the document duly pinned to the old gallows tree fortunately the rain had ceased momentarily only a cool brisk nor'wester came blustering across the heath making the older men shiver beneath their thin well-worn smocks north and south east and west brassing moor stretched its mournful lengths to the distant framework of the peak far away with mile upon mile of grey-green gorse and golden bracken and long shoots of purple-stemmed bramble and here and there patches of vivid mauve where the heather was just bursting into bloom or anon a clump of dark firs with ruddy trunks and gaunt arms stretched menacingly over the sparse young life below and here at the crossroads the heath seemed more desolate than ever despite that one cottage with the blacksmith's shed beyond it the roads themselves the one to aldwark the other from worksworth the third little more than a morass a shortcut to stretton all bore mute testimony to the remoteness the aloofness of this forgotten corner of eighteenth-century england then there was the old gallows whereon many a footpad or sheep-stealer had paid full penalty for his crimes true john stitch the blacksmith now used it as a signpost for his trade a monster horseshoe hung there where once the bones of dick caldwell the highwayman had whitened in the bleak air of the moor still at moments like these when no one spoke the wind seemed to bring an echo of ghostly sighs and laughter for dick had breathed his last with a coarse jest on his lips and the ears of the timid seemed to catch the eerie sound of his horse's hoofs ploughing the ruddy shallow soil of the heath 
for the moment however the cross-roads presented a scene of quite unusual animation the corporal and his squad looked resplendent in their scarlet tunics and white buckskins and mr inch the beadle from brassington was also there in his gold-laced coat bob-tailed wig and three-cornered hat he had lent the dignity of his presence to this solemn occasion and in high-top boots bell in hand had tramped five miles with the soldiers so that he might shout a stentorian oyez oyez whenever they passed one of the few cottages along the road but no one spoke the corporal handed the royal proclamation to one of the soldiers he too seemed nervous and ill at ease the northwester with singular want of respect for king and parliament commenced a vigorous attack upon the great document pulling at it in wanton frolic almost tearing it out of the hands of the young soldier who did his best to fix it against the shaft of the old gallows the white parchment looked uncanny and ghost-like fluttering in the wind no doubt the nor'wester would soon tear it to rags lordy lordy to think on it there it was fixed up at last up so that any chance traveller who could might read but those who were now assembled there shepherds most of them on the moor viewed the written characters with awe and misgiving they had had mr inch's assurance that it was all writ there that the king himself had put his name to it and the young corporal who had read it out had received the document from his own superior officer who in his turn had had it at the hands of his grace the duke of cumberland himself it having come to the knowledge of his majesty's parliament that certain subjects of the king have lately raised the standard of rebellion setting up the pretender charles edward stuart above the king's most lawful majesty it is hereby enacted that these persons are guilty of high treason and by the laws of the kingdom are therefore condemned to death it is further enacted that it is unlawful for any loyal subject of the king to shelter or harbour clothe or feed any such persons who are vile traitors and rebels to their king and country and that any subject of his majesty who kills such a traitor or rebel doth thereby commit an act of justice and loyalty for which he may be rewarded by the sum of twenty guineas it was this last paragraph that made the gaffers shake their heads and say lordy lordy to think on it to think on it for it seemed but yesterday that the old moor i and the hamlets and villages of derbyshire were ringing with the wild shouts of prince charlie's highland brigade but yesterday that his handsome face his green bonnet laced with gold his highland plaid and rich accoutrements had seemed to proclaim victory 
to the Stuart cause from one end of the country to the other. To be sure, that glorious, mad, merry time had not lasted very long. All the wiseacres had foretold disaster when the prince's standard broke, just as it was taken into my lord Exeter's house in Full Street. The shaft snapped clean in half. What could that portend but humiliation and defeat? The retreat from Derby was still fresh in every one's memory, and there were those from Worksworth who remembered the rear-guard of Prince Charlie's army, the hussars with their half-starved horses and bedraggled finery, who had swept down on the villages and homesteads round about Ashbourne, and had pillaged and plundered to their heart's content. But then those were the fortunes of war, fighting, rushing, running, plundering, wild huzzas, mad cavalcades, noise, bustle, excitement, joy of victory, and sorrow of defeat. But this, this proclamation, which the corporal had brought all the way from Derby, and which had been signed by King George himself, this meant silence, hushed footsteps, a hidden figure, perhaps, pallid and gaunt, hiding behind the boulders, or amidst the gorse on the moor, or perishing mayhap at night, lost in the bogland up Stretton Way, whilst Judas-like treads crept stealthily on the track. It meant treachery, too, the price of blood, a fellow-creature's life, to be sold for twenty guineas. No wonder the gaffers could think of nothing to say. No wonder the young men looked at one another shamefaced and in fear. Who knows, any Derbyshire lad now might become a human bloodhound, a tracker of his fellow-creatures, a hunter of men. There were twenty guineas to be earned, and out there on the heath, in the hut of the shepherd or the forge of the smith, many a pale wan face had been seen of late which it was terrible to think on for even out here on brassing moor there existed some knowledge of tyburn gate and of tower hill at last the groups began to break up the corporal's work was done his majesty's proclamation would flutter there in the cool September wind for a while. Then presently the crows would peck at it, the rain would dash it down, the last bit of dirty rag would be torn away by an October gale. But in the meanwhile the few inhabitants of Brassington and those of Aldwark would know that they might deny a starving fellow-creature bread and shelter, I and shoot him too like a wild beast in a ditch and have twenty guineas reward to boot i've seen naught of john stitch master inch said the corporal at last be he from home and he turned to where just in the fork of the road the thatched cottage with a glimpse of the shed beyond it stood solitary and still nay i have not observated that fact master corporal replied master inch clearing his throat for some of those fine words which had gained for him 
widespread admiration for miles around i had not observated that john stitch was from home though in verity it behooves me to say that i do not hear the sound of master stitch's hammer upon his anvil then i'll go across at once said the corporal forward my men john stitch might have saved me the trouble he added groping in his wallet for another copy of his majesty's proclamation nay master corporal do not give yourself the futile trouble of traversing the muddy road said mr inch sententiously john stitch is a loyal subject of king george and by my faith he would not harbourgate a rebel take my word for it although mind you mr corporal i have oft suspicionated mr inch the beadle looked cautiously round all the pompousness of his manner had vanished in a trice his broad face beneath the bob-tailed wig and three-cornered hat looked like a rosy receptacle of mysterious information as he laid his fat hand on the corporal's sleeve the straggling group of yokels were fast disappearing down the muddy tracks some were returning to brassington others were tramping aldwark way one wizened solitary figure was slowly toiling up the road little more than a quagmire that led northwards across the heath towards stretton hall the soldiers stood at attention some fifteen yards away mute and disinterested from the shed beyond the cottage there suddenly came the sound of the blacksmith's hammer upon his anvil mr inch felt secure from observation i have oft suspicionated john stitch the smith of befriending the footpads and highwaymen that haunt this god-forsaken moor he said with an air of excited importance rolling his beady eyes nay laughed the corporal good-humouredly as he shook off master inch's fat hand you'd best not whisper this confidence to john stitch himself as i live he would crack your skull for you master beadle ay be it ever so full of dictionary words john stitch is an honest man i tell you he added with a pleasant oath the most honest this side of the county and don't you forget it but mr inch did not approve of the young soldier's tone of familiarity he drew up his five feet of broad stature to their full height nay but i designated no harm he said with offended dignity john stitch is a worthy fellow and i spoke of no ordinary footpads my mind he added dwelling upon that mysterious possession with conscious pride my mind i may say was dominating on bow brocade bow brocade and the corporal laughed with obvious incredulity which further nettled mr inch the beadle ay bow brocade he said hotly the malicious pernicious damned rascal who gives us that representate the majesty of the law a mighty deal of trouble indeed sneered the corporal i dare swear that down at derby 
retorted Mr. Inch spitefully. You have not even heard of that personage. Oh, we know well enough that Brassing Moor harbors more miscreants than any corner of the county, laughed the young soldier. But methought Beau Brocade only existed in the imagination of your half-witted yokels about here. There you are in grave error, Master Corporal, remarked the beadle with dignity. Beau Brocade, permit me to observe, does exist in the flesh. Twas only last night Sir Humphrey Challoner Coach was stopped not three miles from Hardington, and his honour robbed of fifty guineas by that pernicious highwayman then you must lay this bow brocade by the heels master inch ay that's easily said lay him by the heels forsooth and who's going to do that pray nay that's your affair you don't expect his grace the duke of cumberland to lend you a portion of his army do you his grace might do worse bow brocade is a dangerous rascal to the quality only to the quality ay he'll not touch a poor man tis only the rich he is after and uses but little of his ill-gotten gain on himself how so asked the corporal eagerly for in spite of the excitement of camp life around about derby the fame of the daring highwayman had ere now tickled the fancy of the young soldiers of the duke of cumberland's army why i told you sir humphrey challoner was robbed on the heath last night robbed of fifty guineas eh said master inch whispering in eager confidence well this morning when squire west arrived at the court-house he found fifty guineas in the poor-box well well that's not the first time nor yet the second that such a matter has occurred the dolts round about here the lads from brassington or aldwark or even from worksworth would never willingly lay a hand on bow brocade the rascal knows it well enough and carries on his shameful trade with impunity odds fish but meseems the trade is not so shameful after all what is the fellow like nay no one has ever seen his face though his figure on the moor is familiar to many he is always dressed in the latest fashion hence the villagers have called him beau brocade some say he is a royal prince in disguise he always wears a mask some say he is the pretender charles stuart himself others declare his face is pitted with smallpox others that he has the face of a pig and the ears of a mule that he is covered with hairs like a spaniel or has a blue skin like an ape but no one knows and with half the villages on the heath to aid and abet him he is not like to be laid by the heels a fine story master inch laughed the corporal and is there no reward for the capture of your pig-faced hairy blue-skinned royal prince disguised as a common highwayman 
ay a reward of a hundred guineas said mr inch in a whisper that was hardly audible above the murmur of the wind a hundred guineas for the capture of bow brocade the corporal gave a long significant whistle and no one bold enough to attempt the capture he said derisively mr inch shook his head sadly no one could do it single-handed the rascal is cunning as well as bold and but at this point even mr inch's voluble tongue was suddenly and summarily silenced the words died in his throat his bell the badge of his important public office fell with a mighty clatter on the ground a laugh a long loud joyous mirthful laugh rang clear as a silver gong from across the lonely moor such a laugh as would make any one's heart glad to hear the laugh of a free man of a man who is whole-hearted of a man who has never ceased to be a boy and pompous mr inch slowly turned on his heel as did also the young corporal and both gazed out upon the heath the patient little squad of soldiers too all fixed their eyes upon one spot just beyond john stitch's forge and cottage not fifty yards away there clearly outlined against the cloud-laden sky was the graceful figure of a horse and rider the horse a sleek chestnut thoroughbred which filled all the soldiers hearts with envy and covetousness the rider a youthful upright figure whose every movement betokened strength of limb and elasticity of muscle the very pose a model of ease and grace the shoulders broad the head with a black mask worn over the face was carried high and erect in truth it was a goodly picture to look upon with that massive bank of white clouds and the little patches of vivid blue as a rich shimmering dome above it the gold-tipped bracken the purple heather all around and far away as a mist-covered background the green-clad hills and massive tors of derbyshire so good a picture was it that the tardy september sun peeped through the clouds and had a look at that fine specimen of eighteenth-century english manhood then paused a while perchance to hear again that mirthful happy laugh then came a gust of wind the sun retreated the soldiers gasped and lo before mr inch or mr corporal had realized that the picture was made of flesh and blood horse and rider had disappeared there far out across the heath beyond the gorse and bramble and the budding heather with not a handful of dust to mark the way they went only once from far very far almost from fairyland there came like the echo of a silver bell the sound of that mad merry laugh bow brocade as i live murmured mr inch under his breath End of chapter one